Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We're piecing it all together with you. It is the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> yeah. Randy and I have been uh, chatting it up this morning. Yeah, we thought it might be good to reflect on some of the important books we've read in the last year or just read you know, in the last several years. And um, If you haven't read those, maybe uh, set them up as your... Uh, as your New Year's list to, to begin going through this year. Absolutely. So this will be episode 31. I've learned two interesting things in the past month. The first is that we have a little bit of a lag on our listenership. And I can tell because um, the comments and the uh, recommendations are often an episode behind what's currently out. So, you know, we wanted to get a nice start uh, for the beginning of our podcast here, and I think we've done that well. I've been putting out about two a week, so we're up to 30 that are out, but I can always tell that people are actually listening to the one that I released the previous week, so we're going to slow it down, and I'm going to start releasing uh, these episodes on Tuesday. Every Tuesday, we'll put out a new episode. So, for instance, I put out episode 30 um, last Friday night, so people had access to it on Saturday morning. But over the weekend, a lot of people tweeted or posted on Facebook comments about episode 29, Small Stories. So this has become a consistent pattern, and so I just wanted everyone to know, thank you. We are loving the feedback. We're really enjoying uh, that you've helped us by sharing the episodes to increase uh, the people who are in the conversation, and we're getting some really interesting feedback. Yeah, I'm so glad you're keeping up with all these logistics, Bo. You're you're the logistics meister. You're the idea guy, and I'm the the gear nuts and bolts guy. All right, thanks. It works. It works. I, I appreciate that so much. Those are, those are the kinds of details that drive me crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. No, but you know what? It, it actually it's not a problem. It's one of those good problems to have because. Uh, I'm figuring out that people are listening, but they're just always about a week behind, which yeah. is fine. Well, you know, I like that first part. People are listening. Yeah. And no. joining in the conversation, just like the last one, episode 30, was it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we, we have fun. And, man, uh, our folks who are writing in and those who are supporting us, are they have a lot of important things to say. So I'm really happy about that. Yeah. If you haven't listened to episode 30 yet, you'll want to do that. It's a longer episode but because there was more voices and we had so much to talk about. So it comes in at well over 50 minutes. Yeah. I just um, had a, a, a student at the, where I teach yesterday uh, who told me, they listen to it instead of going to church. They listen to episode 30 as their church service. And I'm like, whoa, I never even thought about this ever replacing the church service. Randy, <laughs> I, heard, I had two people let me know that they listened to it on Sunday morning instead of going to church. Wow. So, huh. That's it. That's a, an interesting new world we live in. Yeah. Okay. Well, the other thing I just wanted to touch on is uh, we want to thank you for uh, emailing us, uh, connect at piecing it all together. Dot com. We're loving. People are sending in all sorts of interesting articles they find and uh, topics for us to talk about. In fact, today's topic, the reading list, was a suggestion by one of our listeners. So we want to uh, thank everybody for their suggestions and for their topics. We, you know, we will never run out of subject matter. Never. So uh, at this point, it's just a time issue, and it means something that other people be involved in this yeah. conversation. We're we are uh, not two know-it-alls, or uh, we're not a little mini think tank, or 
we are just two people who are trying to facilitate a lot of important conversations. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining in. You know, we, we really do think about ourselves as a small node on a much bigger web. I mean, you called this a journey place mm-hmm. when we first got started. That was sort of our tagline. And we really do want this to be a crossroads for people who are on a journey going different directions to come together and compare notes on their way somewhere else. So we're really loving um, that we have some increased traffic and we're loving uh, the feedback that we're getting. So we want to say thank you for that. But we want you to know that uh, starting next week, episodes will come out every Tuesday. And so I think that that's more manageable, both on our end and for uh, hosting a conversation. You know, if we just wanted to put out episodes, but we weren't facilitating a conversation, it wouldn't matter when people listen to it. Right. But because our heart is really to engage listeners, uh, I think slowing down is going to be the way to go. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And there's there's 30 now in the backlog, so there's plenty to listen to. Yeah. I also like that we've changed a little bit recently, um, you know, from just kind of introducing things, whether it's walking around the farm or, you know, just sort of uh, things, that we're actually getting into some meatier issues recently. And I've really enjoyed that, you know, whether it's colonial missions, murdered and missing indigenous women, environmental issues, um, you know, we're really tackling some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. So. Well, take it from me. Um, there's plenty of meat around and because I know because I'm a part-time vegetarian. So uh, <laughs> it's a joke. I got it. I was trying to think of something <laughs> clever, but I, I got nothing. My coffee hasn't kicked in yet. So unfortunately. Uh, so let's get started on this uh, reading list. Okay. So, well, I, I think the first thing we should make a disclaimer and oh. say, because a lot of our friends write books, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do have a lot of friends that write books. Yeah. And so um, no slights to anyone uh, if you're not mentioned in this because, uh, you know, everybody's writing great things nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just choosing basically um, the, the books that I've read in the last year or so. That made yeah. an impact on me and, and just passing that information along. Um, I am uh, really, uh, I had to narrow it down. At first I chose like 18 books and now I've, oh. you know, narrowed it down a little bit. But um, uh, yeah, but I, I think for, for me, this is one of the you know ways I could maybe remain safe is to uh, say these are, these are the books that I've read in the last year or so. so. That, oh. I, that I think others should read. Yeah, yeah. This was actually an interesting thing. So Randy has a pile of books in front of him, and I've got a stack in front of me. There is no overlap as far as I can tell, although we haven't talked through our entire list yet. But the interesting thing is that um, uh, I sort of went through my library and thought, what do I wish that all of our listeners had read and so I came up with some categories. So sometimes I have two books in, in the category. Randy went more uh, contemporary. What has he read recently? And so the lists are very different, but I think that together it's going to provide people with a really good bibliography um, with which to work off of. And you can always, if you get an Amazon gift card, or you can add them to your uh, your reading list at the local bookstore or get them from the library. And should we post this on our uh, site as well, this, these lists? Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, we'll do that. So I took, a picture, and I took a picture of my stack of books yesterday. I'll take a picture of your stack of books when we're done. Okay. And we will uh, we'll post them up there. 
All right, you ready to get started? I'm ready to get started. Let's start because mine are mine are categories, and oh, yours okay. are all more contemporary. Yeah, and so do you want to just like you go all of your books yeah, and me yeah. go all my books? I think that's okay. the way to do it. Well, sure. Okay, go for it. All right, number you one, have your Western categories. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's so embarrassing. I, you know what? I even though in my best attempts I try not to do it, it shows up in the darndest things. Like in episode thirty, you were talking about uh, something re- responding to Rob, and while you're doing that, I made a four uh, a four point list. And even in my best efforts to not do it, I can't. Man, my brain just works that way. So anyway, number one is Conquest by Andrea Smith. Sexual Violence and American Indian Genocide. Uh, We know Andrea Smith. Yeah, and and I've read the book. It's a great book. Oh, yeah. The whole book, Troubling. Whoa. Yes. Uh, You referenced this, actually, in episode 30. So that's why I wanted Mm -hmm. to start with it, um, just right off the top. It it, it parallels the... um, uh, the colonial uh, rape of the land and the rape of indigenous women and, the, uh, um, uh, you know, together in a very, very cogent way. Mm. So, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of good stories in there. Number two is Richard <coughs> Twist, Rescuing the Gospel from the Cowboys, a Native American expression of the Jesus way. Never heard of that guy. <laughs> so this was uh, Richard's final book. I think it was actually published after. Yeah, posthumously. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, it's just I I recommend it to every uh, white person I know who's getting started. Yeah, so it's a great introduction. He a lot of people look at his other his other book, the um, uh, what was it called? Uh, many many voices, one church, or something like that. And yeah. he he had actually moved way beyond that, but right. um, I think it was Regal wouldn't let, allow him to redo it. Oh, really? Yeah, and so it, it, uh, he'd, he'd moved way beyond that. Um, it was originally called 500 Years of Bad Haircuts. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, I knew Richard as he moved through the various versions of that. And and then this is the book um, that really uh, it focuses where his basically his life was mm-hmm. uh, at the time he passed. And, um, of course, there's a lot of this where we were together and doing this. But this is his... Um, his doctoral dissertation basically turned into a book. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a great read. And it was originally called rescuing the gospel from, uh, rescuing theology from the Cowboys. Oh, really? Yeah. But, um, my understanding is that the, uh, they were afraid that the, the word theology in front of it wouldn't have a popular read that, mm-hmm. he, that they wanted it to have. So oh. they changed it to gospel. Hey, that stuff is so interesting. You know, once an author turns in their manuscript and signs their contract, they're not exactly in control of what the publisher ends up doing with it, as you and I are finding out right now. Yeah. We've had uh, we've had several titles for that manuscript we turned yeah. in. But, you know, I've, I've never, uh, and we'll see what happens with this one, but I've never written a book where the original title wasn't kept. Even after they went through the whole process of team suggestions and everything else, they always come back to the title I've given it. Oh, in your own experience? Yeah, my oh. experience. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Speaking of which, Shalom in the Community of Creation, an Indigenous Vision by Randy Woodley. My title. I think if you... <laughs> when I started putting together a reading list for our show, I'm like, I think everyone should probably have read this. If nothing else, if you're a listener to the show, you'll definitely want to have read this. Yeah, and it's about... Well, 
If you are a first-time listener, welcome. If you've been listening to the show at all, basically, it is what Randy and I dialogue about all of the time. It is his uh, dissertation. Um, oh, it's about it's parts of it for my dissertation. The research for the dissertation, but that in every uh, indigenous tradition there is a, a shalom concept of wholeness, connection, and restoration, and so it ties in with some of Walter Brueggemann's work uh, in his reading of the Hebrew Bible, and so you sort of bring that all together with your research and then bring it into some practical applications. Okay, you passed the test. Oh, good. That was nerve-wracking. <laughs> uh, I also just wanted to suggest in this category, Native Wisdom for White Minds, Ann Wilson Schaefe. This is a book that Randy used to require in uh, some of his classes. And um, everyone I know who has, has this book and, or has read it benefits greatly from it. Yeah, it's more of a spiritual formation type book. Um, and each there's a daily readings. Yeah. And, and and it is a good book, um, but it is not written by a native person, which which bothers some people. But mm-hmm. I I think if you read it, you'll find out that it's pretty authentic. Um, and she quotes, of course, a lot of native folks in it, a lot of elders. Mm-hmm. The other book that that we use sort of as a, a meditational or spiritual formation book is uh, Kent Nurburn's book, Voices of the Stones, mm. and or Voices in the Stones, maybe is what it's called. Oh. It's a similar type thing, and it, it is really, really good. We like that one, and it it doesn't have as many uh, readings, but um, there's plenty there, and they're a little longer, but they're they're great stories. Kent Urban is a great storyteller. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. I'll have to get that one. See, now I have something for my uh, last minute Christmas list: uh, the Cross and the Lynching Tree by James Cone. James Cone, famous for a Black Theology of Liberation. Um, this is uh, his newer work. And it is especially, um, this came out for me around the same time that people were working on uh, 12 Years a Slave. And I just said, you know, as popular as that movie was, everybody who's a person of faith needs to have read uh, Cross and Lynching Tree by James Cone. It is a powerful, powerful work about uh, the legacy of America and race. Yeah, and believe it or not, I hadn't read that one yet. Mm. Um, I've looked through it. My wife read it and kind of talked to me through the book, throughout oh, the book. Oh, interesting. And so I haven't felt the need, but I, I need to go back and read it oh. still because... Uh, um, He's his, a good writer, too. I mean, his, his, his writing is poignant. Yeah. That's on my list. Oh, good. So I have the book already. So different category now. Okay. We need to have something about the economy. So I picked two books. One is No Rising Tide by Jorg Rieger. Oh, interesting. And one is Fixing the Moral Deficit by Ronald Sider. Oh, I didn't know that uh, Sider had written something like that. Now, that that sounds fascinating. He was one of my professors. So. Oh, okay. And Jorg yeah. is sort of one of my uh, mentors. I really have enjoyed him as both a conversation partner, but largely as um, following his work have really been inspired to take my, my academic pursuit in a different direction. Yeah. So I always thought, you know, that the, the, the course is playing off of the idea of well, uh, a, uh, what is it? It's a rising tide lifts every boat. Lifts every boat. But, you know, my thought was, well, not if your boat has holes in it, you know, or not if you don't have a boat. Right. You know, it's like, you know, you're still left there in the water, right? That's so. Yeah. So your, your sort of take is. Uh, you know, a, a rising tide is great if you have a boat. If you don't, a rising tide is a threat to your very existence. Mm. So the subtitle of that one is Theology, Economics, and the Future. Very cool little book. 
The subtitle on the Ron Sider book is A Balanced Way to Balance the Budget. Oh, That's that the moral sounds, death. Uh, knowing Ron yeah. and having sat under his tutelage, uh, I, I think that I will probably love that book because... Um, you know, his he takes Shalom very seriously and the mm. safety nets of Shalom mm. and all that kind of stuff. So so I'm looking forward to that. Listener, if you if Cider sounds familiar to you, you probably are familiar with his other book, Rich Christians in an Age of Hunger. Yeah, he's written probably twenty five books, but yeah. That's, I think that's, that's the, the most that, famous, I think. Yeah. So so what about it? So I read a book called For the Common Good that really got me thinking about the religious, spiritual, or theological aspects of budgets and the economy but that book is really written uh, by some process thinkers and i know not everybody's into process so i started looking for other books that dealt with economic issues from that same perspective and these are sort of the two that um, i connected with the most this one i think is i don't know it's more specific the cider one is uh, more specific Excuse me, but it it talks about the way that we come up. Like, what are the the underlying ideas, or what's going on behind the scenes about why issues of economy um, are so contentious? Yeah, because we're coming from very different points, and we're trying to get to very different ends. Yeah. So, Cider's the the one that first got me thinking about the understanding what this whole shalom mm. construct is about, and I don't even remember him using that word necessarily as. Mm as the undergirding, uh, you know, heuristic principle. But he talked about inheritance taxes, and he talked about mm. safety nets and all those kinds of things when I was in his classes. And uh, and it certainly got me thinking that beyond myself and my own personal experience, that, that um, my understanding of uh, theology and how to work for the common good and how mm. to live my life on this earth has everything to do with the kinds of laws and leg- uh, things that are legislated. So, hmm. so to uh, cultural, in the cultural category, Deborah Tannen, The Argument Culture, is probably one of my top three books ever. Oh, wow. I love this book. And uh, it was actually written in 98. So before most people were on the Internet, before social media, things like Facebook, um, she points out the problem before it got so inflamed and the heat and the volume were tur- turned up. Right. And I just, I think it's a, it's just been a book that really inspired me and got me thinking in totally different ways. Okay. It's one of the reasons that I have um, left sort of my jock uh, professional wrestling style background of rants and um, venting and left that broy sports radio approach behind and have gone a different way, which is to try and be in constructive, um, ironic conversation with people who are very different than I am. Part of it was, uh, comes out of that book. Cool. Yeah. And then I did, Jihad versus McWorld is sort of a pop book about globalization and tribalism and how it is reshaping uh, both our politics and our economy. And so it's by Benjamin Barber, and uh, it's just a really good book. So if you've read books like The Tipping Point or other sort of pop sociology books, this is a really good one, and it's just full of very interesting examples. This, speaking of titles, we were talking about titles before, he actually wanted to call it Jihad and McWorld, 
because they feed off of each other and they actually create each other. But the um, the publisher thought it would have more appeal if it was verses. Yeah. So if you have the okay animosity yeah. there, so which goes back to the other book, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we're coming to the end here, but here's a couple other categories I think you need. Uh, I have both the Nonviolent Atonement by Denny Weaver and Saved from Sacrifice by Mark Heim, especially between now, which is you know the Christmas holidays. And then Easter, which is just a couple months away, um, everybody needs a better atonement theory. Oh, yeah. One that is not premised on redemptive violence. Hmm. Because it manifests in our world from everything from militarism to uh, stand your your ground laws Mm -hmm. to domestic violence. The myth of redemptive violence permeates our culture. And so much of it is rooted in our understanding of the Easter story. You need a a different understanding of the violence in the Easter story. I would say better. (laughs) (laughs) Couple last things. Last category is something about the earth. So I like these three books, but I have a problem with each. And I'll tell you what they are. So this one is The Gospel According to the Earth by Matthew Sleeth, right? It's, it was pretty popular, and um, I know it's not uh, everything that you would want in a book, but it is pretty approachable, especially if you're coming from an evangelical perspective. That's why I wanted to offer it up. Light bulbs and laundry lines. <laughs> is that your t- <laughs> Okay. Or... Well, my, my problem is that it doesn't address systemic issues um, uh, I, as much. I agree. The other one is making peace with the land. God's call to reconcile with creation. Now, these the reason I bring these books up is because I truly wanted something to do with environmental issues. And this is the best I could come up with, which is why I wanted to bring this up last and say to the listener, I need your help. These are not... These books are not really what I'm looking for, and I need suggestions. Help me find a book that has to do with um, with creation care or spirituality, and as far as environmentalism goes, um, that has that's more holistic and complete. Um, like the making peace with the land is great, but it has two glaring weaknesses. The first is there's no indigenous perspectives or voices. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. The second thing is it's very Anglican. One of the things I keep stumbling into is that um, especially former post-evangelicals or people who are kind of moving away from being in that sort of religious perspective, uh, they make a move towards being Anglican because they love the embodied practices and the ritual and right that. But the problem is it's so Anglo. And so it's steeped, obviously, Anglicanism based in England, the Church of England. And the Episcopal system, it's a problem for me in that it is so Anglo. Mm. And I just, I'm allergic to it. It rubs me the wrong way. (laughs) So even though I love the heart behind this book, and I actually like the voice they write in, Mm -hmm. some of their solutions are Anglican, right, sacrament. And it's just, I find it unsatisfying. So, listener, I need your help finding a better book. In that same vein, though, I found this book called Inheriting Our Mother's Gardens, Feminist Theology and Third World Perspective. Hmm. There's so many things I like about this book. 
There's only one problem with it. So there's Asian American, Latin American, African American, and even Anglo American. But guess whose voice is missing? Um, <clears throat> I can't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no Native American writer in it. So mm, that's pretty sad. It is sad. But let me tell you the th- one of the things I love buying used books. And one of the reasons I love buying my books used is not just because they're cheaper, but because uh, I love when somebody has written in the book. And this book happens to be, whoever had it before me, didn't like the book. And was in a constant dialogue trying to correct what they saw as the problems with the book. It is so much fun (laughs) to read and to follow somebody else's line of reasoning and to see why they were troubled by it. Right. So this is the only book I'm going to read from, but uh, I I dog-eared this one section I just want to read. Since women were excluded from the public process of determining the meaning of religion, they were free to carve out a religion of their own without the constraints of orthodoxy. Their imposed freedom allowed them to develop in private a religion organic whole, a religious organic whole that enabled them to survive and liberated them in the midst of their struggle for full humanity. I want to name my mother's distinctive spirituality as survival slash liberation slash centered syncretism. The heart of their spirituality was the life power that sustained and liberated them. Life-giving power is the final criterion by which the validity of any religion is judged. Hmm. I really like this book. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. I I'm, I'm definitely want to read some of those this year. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I'll get started on my list. Let's do it. All right. Round two. So, I, I have to start with this, what some people call shameless plug. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I honestly, I'm, you know, I'm pretty hard on myself sometimes, but... You know, my children's book, The Harmony Tree, A Story of Healing and Community, this is the only book of mine that I have here, obviously, was such a joy to write, and, mm. and the, I'm so happy with how it came out, and then it works in so many different levels, both ecologically, both the children to sort of animate creation in nature, and then and then it's the whole thing is really centered about um, how to host people and settler colonial people get along, and basically the... The, the story is told um, through trees. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's a um, allegory, basically, hmm. um, that's that's told through the, the trees in it. In it. And then um, my nephew, Ramon Romero, did such a great job. It's even worth just, just looking at the, the pictures, the, yeah. the, the illustrations. He did such the a great job. The illustrations are gorgeous. I'm really happy about that. And he's uh, a, a great person and a uh, very conscientious person as well. So... Hmm. So anyway, I, I mention that because um, not just because I want people to buy the book on Amazon, um, <laughs> but because it You're really a is yeah. a story that has to be told. If you want to understand Native Americans and and the settler folks, then this book actually does it. And so, uh, and I've actually written book two now to the series. There's going to be a trilogy, three of them, um, and uh, book book two is ready. But I've got to raise the money to to publish it and everything. But uh, and uh, pay my illustrator. But this is, um, you know, I, I think in terms of all the things I've ever written, this is the thing I'm most proud of. Wow. So, That's quite a statement. It really is. I'm, I I've love never writing these children's stories because you say it's so simple, but it means so much, you know. Wow. So um, uh, the second book, you actually, um, 
use the title uh, in a, a phrase. Uh-oh. It's called Stand Your Ground, Black Bodies and the Justice of God uh, by Kelly Brown Douglas, um, a great womanist the- theologian. And um, in this book, it's not just about the Florida Stand Your Ground law. That is sort of the, the precept of the book. But basically, she goes through... Uh, the whole history of sort of Anglo-Saxon myth and how this came about and how white supremacy became the law of the land. And so she does an excellent, excellent job of that and then also understand it from a theological perspective. There's, of course, a a number of books that I would um, uh, put in a similar category, and I've read those in the past. I haven't read them lately. I've just been reading her book this year. But another one I would... um, uh, a book that I would put in the same category, since we've done some categories. Yeah. Go ahead. Is a book called Savage Anxieties, The Invention of Western Civilization by Robert A. Williams Jr., who's another native writer, uh, scholar. And uh, he basically talks about the, the whole idea of the uh, savage and the Roman idea um, of uh, what it meant to uh, create the category of the cultural other. Hmm. Um, if you If you wanted to... To, to, to look at this category even deeper, another book that I've read in the past is The History of White People by Nell Irvin Painter. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes back to the Greeks. And then a sort of a native perspective, another native perspective on the, the, the more ancient uh, picture is um, John Mohawk, who writes Utopian Legacies. Sure. And so um, the, the four of those would be a wonderful class to, to yeah. teach and take. But, wow. But so Kelly Brown Douglas. Um, and then... Um, if you are a white person and you're still having trouble with all this whole idea of white supremacy and white privilege, and you need to hear it through the white voice, um, a, a book that I think is excellent is Ken Weitzman's book, The Myth of Equality, huh. um, Uncovering the Roots in, of Injustice and Privilege. And it's a, it's a primer of sorts um, for uh, white folks to understand what's really going on. And I think it's an in, insider talking to insiders. And um, I really enjoyed it because, you know, as, as I read through this book, I a lot of times I would be going, "Oh, I've said that before in the past. I've, I like I like the way he said that." And just so, um, so I was really I'm really happy that this is, book is out there for people. Um, and let's see, I'm uh, yeah. Sometimes you actually need, unfortunately, sometimes you need that insider voice and perspective because there are some nuances or caveats that are uh, built in that um that help you be able to absorb and sort of accept this new information or new perspective and it's unfortunate but sometimes it actually is a starting point it is helpful to hear to somebody who speaks your native tongue and knows whether it's examples or you know conditions to put on the beginning or clarifications sometimes it really is helpful yeah because sometimes white people have a hard time when i talk about these things (laughs) i have seen that uh (laughs) so uh, another book i'm kind of making categories because you i know it's contagious i'm pulling from way down the list and bringing (laughs) out another book so so this book um i read um i actually read it a couple years ago and then i read it again this year okay and it's called radical reconciliation Beyond Political Pietism and Christian Quietism um, by Alan Bosack and Curtis Paul DeYoung. And um, so Alan those... Bosack, a South at Black South African, oh. and Curtis Paul DeYoung, uh, yeah. a white Minnesotan who's been involved in these kinds of issues for who knows how long. He's one of the 
elder voices in this uh, in this uh, conversation. Really? Yeah. So for those who are uninitiated, what is pietism and quietism? Well, I don't want to go ahead and define okay. the, the way they do it, and I've spent too much time on this. Right. But, but but you can see by my book, it's you know it's Whoa. it's highlighted throughout and underlined and and uh, notes back here. And wow, so it's just a, a really good. You uh, really chewed that thing up. Yeah, if people want to talk about reconciliation, um, especially from a Christian perspective, um, then I I recommend this book. Um, another book, um, sort of, I'll pull down here from a similar category, um, Eddie Glau Jr., Democracy in Black, How Race Still Enslaves the American Soul. And this is a very contemporary look. He's got some historical background, but contemporary look of what's going on. And uh, um, he is a professor at Princeton University um, in the Department of African American Studies. Democracy in Black, you want to compare that to, like, Trumpian democracy, and uh, it's a very, very um, enlightening read to what's happening right now. So, um, another book um, is a book that I read by a young person, and and uh, uh, Shutakal Martinez is a indigenous young person. He's, uh, I think, one of only two young people who's ever addressed the United Nations Assembly. Really? Um, the book's called We Rise, yeah. uh, The Earth Guardian's Guide to Building a Movement that Restores the Planet. I was so heartened by reading a young person's understanding and strategies and ways to get people involved right away. Uh, that he huh. can get other young people involved right away in, in helping to... Um, uh, uh, keep the earth in a better way than what we're doing right now. But they're also involved politically. And he's part of the group um, that is uh, uh, constantly in court trying to sue the United States government because they are um, saying that you're not securing a, a, a future for us. You're, we're not able to pursue life, liberty, and happiness because of what you're doing to the the earth and that's actually that whole thing is housed down here in eugene i think interesting but um so if you're listening to this and you're and you're uh, wondering so it's we rise the author's last name is martinez and his first name starts with an x so if you're looking on uh looking that up that's how you'll know you have the right book yeah it's called the uh, his name is pronounced shoot the car but uh very um it's very old way of pronouncing that mm. right so ancient uh, passed down Probably in his family. Uh, I think he lives in maybe Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Uh, he's a native young man. And um, uh, really, really liked uh, the practicality of this and how to get involved in, in helping to uh, preserve uh, Mother Earth. Wow. Oh, let's see. Um, Militarization <laughs> of Indian Country by Winona LaDuke. Oh, look uh, at that cover. I, yeah, I love Winona LaDuke. Yeah. Uh, her... her not just her writings, but her talk and what she does in life and how she's involved. Um, right now, they're on the front lines of battling the main um, tar sands pipeline that's trying to come to the United States. And um, uh, so, th but this is a, a little different subject for her. It includes the environment, but basically, basically, she talks about militarism and how Native people have been involved in both active uh, warrior type militarism and also against it both in, uh, as peacemakers and peacekeepers and nowadays what people are doing. And, and if you have the image of, and this is especially for, I think, young Indian people, young, young people, if you have the image of, oh, we're just, we're warriors and we serve and we have per capita more people 
than any other group who serve in the U.S. military. And, you know, you take pride in all that. You need a more balanced view. It's not a very thick book, mm -hmm. but um, this is one that I, I think uh, is a required reading for mm -hmm. Native people and others who, who sort of want to understand that. Interesting. Um, one of my books is by one of my, well, probably my favorite uh, indigenous thinker, and that's uh, the late John Mohawk. It's called Thinking in Indian. And again, I had to read this again um, and this year. And uh, again, it just reminded me why I love him so much. Mm. Uh, one of my regrets is I never got to meet him. But um, long history, a, Mo a Seneca man um, named John Mohawk, Thinking in Indian, a John Mohawk reader. And it's a, a lot, just a lot of wisdom, a lot of earth wisdom. He's a farmer also. And so I related to him at that mm. level. Um, but he has a, a big view, uh, yeah. um, but also um, is involved locally. So um, another book, uh, The Heathen School, <laughs> A Story of Hope and Betrayal in the Age of the Early Republic by John Demos. Huh. And uh, this book I will be talking about in the new book that I'm writing, um, which is called, um, I'll begin with this. I, I mentioned it last uh, last week, so I won't talk a lot about it, but it's basically how uh, Yale uh, became sort of the center for both mission and racism together mm. in the history of the United States. And, really? Yeah. So I just, the reason the title struck me is, uh, you know, the first time I ever heard somebody call themselves a heathen was actually at a um, honoring the land conference we had back in the day at what used to be George Fox Seminary. It was Robert Francis. It was Robert Francis. <laughs> and he he was proud to be a person of the heath or the heather. Uh -huh. And uh, it was the first person I ever heard identify as a heathen. And it really was like, I was so mystified and confused by why somebody would own that. Right. And it's just funny that 10 years later, I just, I love his perspective and, you know, the, just the history of that whole uh, line of reasoning. That, right. Well, what's well, the cultural other, yeah. which is what my, my next book will be that I write. is uh, called Mission and the Cultural Other, Hopeful yeah. New Paradigms. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the Heathen School, which is what it was dubbed by everyone back then, because all the quote-unquote heathen were coming there <laughs> and uh, being converted, right? Wow. Um, so, oh, wow. okay. Then um, another thing I've uh, that I've done this year um, I live in Oregon, and I always feel wherever I live, it's my responsibility to understand the history of the people of the land. Um, and I've done that on the Willamette Valley side, on the western side. Um, I've researched, I've done original research, I've dug, dug up a lot of things, I've talked to cultural guides and others, and and so uh, I thought it was time to look at western or eastern Oregon. <clears throat> in eastern Oregon. I, 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 uh, I took my cue from one of the tribal cultural liaisons down at the Klamath tribes, and he suggested a series of books. Um, my wife, actually, uh, Edith, uh, and her family come from the peoples of Eastern Oregon, and we thought, uh, we never thought of Eastern Oregon as the center of Shoshone Paiute land, but it really was. Mm. And so he suggested that there's an anthropologist, he said, who wrote a series of books five books in the series called Thunder Over the Ochoco uh, by Gail Anko. And um, he takes all the stories and all the research and all the eyewitness accounts and, and he sort of blends them together in a, a more of a, a fiction read, but it is, but it's a nonfiction book. 
And uh, I've read three of those so far. I've read volumes one, two, and I'm almost done with three. I'll finish four and five. And uh, they're pretty thick books, too. So uh, it surprised me how much I've been reading this. This, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm looking at this, this stack of books in front of you, and you've read all of these in the past year. Yeah. Huh. So uh, Thunder Over the Ochikos, they're hard to come by. They're, they're out of print. Oh. Um, but it has given me, and I'm actually, the, the incredible thing about this, I'm actually finding Edith's actual relatives. I mean, like her fourth great-grandfather, fourth great-uncle, her, her um, fifth great-grandfather, and how they were involved in uh, all of these wars and things that went around. Uh, they were part of what we call the Dosa Wheat, or the White Knives, as they're called in Shoshone, um, dog soldiers who basically patrolled the areas in, in eastern Oregon and beyond and uh, and defended their lands. So this is uh, n- not only uh, just general great knowledge and deep knowledge, um, but it also is family history. Wow, wow. So two more books. Okay. Um, one by Peter Wollobin, and it's called The Hidden Life of Trees. What they feel, how they communicate, discoveries from a secret world. And I actually have three books. The other two I haven't read yet. One is called How Forests Think. And um, the other one I can't recall the name of right now. Uh, it's over on the other side of the room. But uh, we are at Ayla Hay, uh Farm right now, and we're in my office. But um, but it's this is, oh, The Song of Trees is okay. the other one, yeah. But this is all about how in... Uh, creation is animated Mm -hmm. so trees actually think they actually sing they actually put out a heartbeat they actually protect one another and and all of this goes on without our thinking about that plants are so incredible they are not inanimate objects in any way Mm. shape or form and so so this was a really really good book anyone who i've ever asked who's read this book loved it so the hidden life of trees well i'm gonna add that to my list new york times bestseller and then finally, oh, uh, the oh. book that I've had to refer to so many times this the year. The big one. And it, it yeah, it, it came out, everyone knows Charles C. Mann's book, 1491, yeah. which sort of turned over a lot of population theories and, and uh, uh, micro, uh, macro management theories for Native Americans in the country before Columbus arrived. But very few, I find, have read 1493, which is the second book, Uncovering the New World Columbus Created. And uh, there is so much in here about our problems today uh, and why we're in such a terrible ecological mess. Um, and basically what his thesis is that they they destroyed everything in England. They destroyed the bays. They destroyed the forests. They destroyed everything, fished them all out, polluted them, etc. And then they came over here and began to introduce the same practices. And 500 years later, they're still doing it. And so it's very revealing, and, and even though it's historical, mm. it is actually, you know, for today. Wow. So that's my list. My, my. You know what's funny is you and I did not compare notes before we got here today, and I did not realize you were bringing that sizable stack, and you didn't realize that I was uh, bringing something very similar. So <clears throat> that, was in, that was a tour de force uh, <laughs> of a small library. And uh, obviously, we don't expect people to have uh, to pick up all of these, but there's obviously enough there. There's definitely enough there for uh, to keep people 
occupied and educated in this coming year. Yeah, so if you if you read one of these books based on a recommendation, yeah. write us and let us know what you think. And let's yeah. have an email conversation about it. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, listeners, if you have uh, books that you would like to be on the reading list, let us know. And as we go forward uh, into 2019... We can uh, reference those, and uh, Randy and I are always looking, we're both readers, so we're always looking for, for new stuff, especially because um, we love recommending books. People ask us for recommendations, so we're always looking for good resources uh, to pass on. Well, thank you for downloading this episode. Thank you for listening. We'll look forward to your feedback. Listen, go to patreon.com, piecing it all together. That's P-E-A-C-I-N-G, piecing it all together. Uh, We appreciate your support. Go ahead and write us an iTunes review. It helps us to find a broader audience. We really appreciate those of you who have shared on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, Let other people know about uh, our little podcast here. It is helping us greatly to find a broader audience and to broadcast in in, in the places we want to be in conversation. So, peace out.